0: Chapter Five of Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume Seven This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln, A History, Volume Seven By John Hay and John George Nicolay. CHAPTER Five Preludes to the Vicksburg Campaigns the promotion of general halleck to the chief command of the armies of the united states and his removal to washington placed general grant at the head of the armies of the west he was not at first able to follow his natural disposition and to attack the enemy opposed to him on account of the large subtractions which were made from his forces to enable buell to hold his positions in tennessee he had a long line to hold from memphis to corinth and had all he could do to guard it against the attacks of an active and vigilant enemy he massed his troops as well as he could in a triangle of which the points were jackson bolivar and corinth he remained about two months in this enforced inactivity which was only broken at last by an attack of the enemy the confederate generals price and van dorn were in front of him the former on the left and the latter on the right and towards the middle of september they made a movement the object of which was to effect a junction and either attack and disperse the forces of grant or together passing his flank to reinforce bragg in his campaign against buell in pursuance of this object price seized the village of Ayuka, twenty-one miles southeast of corinth colonel robert c murphy who commanded the place giving way without resistance and displaying a pusillanimity which when repeated on a subsequent occasion caused great damage to the union arms as soon as grant heard of the movement he prepared with his usual energy to prevent the two confederate generals from effecting their junction he ordered general Rosecrans, whose troops were at the moment south of corinth to attack Iuka on the southwest and general e o c ord to march on the north of the memphis and charleston railroad and attack that side of the town at the same moment the two generals had about seventeen thousand men almost equally divided this plan met with the usual ill success which attended such concerted movements during the early part of the war Rosecrans was himself attacked by the confederates two miles south of Iuka, and the head of his column was roughly handled the engagement lasted several hours but, as a strong wind was blowing from the north, Ord, who was only a few miles away, and who was waiting for the signal of Rosecrans's attack, heard not a shot nor a sound. He got the news, however, during the night, and pushed on to Ayuka in the morning, only to find that the town was deserted, and that the enemy, after holding Rosecrans in check during the afternoon on the Jacinto Road, had escaped during the night by the Fulton Road, a few miles further east price passed in this way round the right flank and rear of rosecrans and joined van dorn at ripley both sides claimed the advantage in this affair rosecrans's loss was 790 and price's was 535 price and van dorn came together in the latter part of september and before the first of october grant ascertained that another movement was in progress against him this time corinth was the point of attack rosencrans occupied that place with some twenty three thousand men ord at bolivar had twelve thousand and there was a small reserve at jackson where grant had established his headquarters van dorn being the ranking officer took command of the confederate forces amounting to some twenty two thousand he reached pocahontas a point about twenty miles northwest of corinth on the first of october and pushed for that place with great force and celerity His object, as set forth by himself in his report, was to attack the forces there, drive them back on the Tennessee, and cut them off, then turn upon Bolivar and Jackson, overrun West Tennessee, and effect a communication with General Bragg through Middle Tennessee. The campaign was well planned, and if it could have been successfully carried out, would have been a very great advantage to the Confederates the attack upon corinth began under the most favorable auspices Rosecrans's forces were attacked near the outlying works at some distance from the town and forced back into the inner entrenchments with considerable loss the confederates bivouacked for the night within a few hundred yards of the union forces and expected an easy day's work on the morrow Van Dorn ordered General Louis Hebert to attack vigorously on the left at daylight, swinging his left wing along the Ohio Railroad against the north side of the town. Dabney H. Morey, commanding the center, was to move directly from the west, and Mansfield Lovell was to second the attack from the southwest. But the whole plan miscarried. Hebert, instead of attacking at daybreak, came to headquarters at 7 o'clock and said he was too sick to fight it was two hours later before his command under the next in rank general martin e green attacked and maury having already become engaged the assault lacked the unity and vehemence required the confederates nevertheless fought with great bravery and determination and were opposed with equal gallantry by the national troops in the town they succeeded in breaking the union line and entering the streets of corinth but the attacking party being subjected to a terrible crossfire of artillery were driven out again with heavy loss the battle lasted only a short while and before lovell had begun to bring his forces seriously into action from the southwest the other divisions had been repulsed and he could do nothing more than cover the retreat the confederate loss was very severe rosencrans reported their killed at one thousand four hundred twenty three and he captured 2,268 prisoners. Their total loss, as indicated by the records, was 4,838. As the Union soldiers fought behind breastworks, they suffered much less, their loss being only 2,520. The troops rested from noon of the 4th to the morning of the 5th, and then started after the retreating enemy, general Rosecrans took the wrong road and lost eight miles by his mistake van dorn in his retreat fell in with ord's detachment by whom he was sharply attacked and driven away from davis's bridge and compelled to cross further south ord being seriously wounded in this fight the pursuit from his column ceased rosecrans came up with van dorn too late to prevent his crossing the hatchie and on reporting this to general grant he concluded that the chase was no longer of any use and ordered rosecrans to return although in neither of these engagements had general rosecrans in the opinion of general grant gained all the advantages he should have done from the defeat of the enemy they were not without their importance in defeating the junction of van dorn's army with bragg and for some time afterwards west tennessee was safe from any incursions from the south general rosecrans himself received ungrudging praise from the country and from the government he was promoted to the grade of major general and given command of the army of the cumberland and although general grant did not suggest and would not have approved this promotion he took a certain grim satisfaction in it as it relieved him from the command of a subordinate who had not fulfilled his expectations van dorn who had planned his campaign with good judgment made his attack with energy and when it failed effected his retreat with great skill and success was blamed severely for his failure though a court of inquiry exonerated him from all censure jefferson davis although van dorn had lost nothing in his estimation by the untoward result of the attack on corinth still felt that it would not be advisable to continue him in chief command of the troops in that region and therefore made j c pemberton a lieutenant-general and ordered him to mississippi he assumed command at jackson on the fourteenth of october eighteen sixty two towards the end of that month general grant in view of the repulse of the enemy in his front and the good condition of his troops under his command reinforced by the new levies of the summer began to turn his thoughts in the direction of an advance through the state of mississippi in rear of vicksburg he suggested in a letter to general halleck on the twenty sixth of october the destruction of all the railroads about corinth and an advance southward from grand junction along the east bank of the yazoo river and in pursuance of that idea he gathered in from bolivar and corinth a force of about thirty thousand men who arrived in the neighborhood of grand junction on the fourth of november general halleck on being informed of this movement telegraphed his approval of it and added also that he had ordered the troops at helena in arkansas to cross the river and threaten granada on the mississippi central railroad halfway between grand junction and vicksburg it was therefore under the best possible auspices that grant began his movement southward he had an excellent army well composed and well officered inured to camp life and with the habit of victory he was heartily and generously supported and seconded at washington he enjoyed the confidence of the president and the enthusiastic support of the country the prize before him was also of a nature to excite to the highest point of activity the ambition and the energies of any general the position of the mississippi river was indispensable to the success of the national cause so long as this vast highway was closed at any point to the fleets of the union the national power was to a great extent paralyzed in the west the triumphant campaign of donelson and henry and its resulting operations had freed the river from its source to the city of vicksburg the gallantry of farragut and his fleet in the memorable passage of forts jackson and st philip and the subsequent capture of new orleans had given to the union the control of the mouths of the great river but from vicksburg to port hudson a distance by the river of some two hundred miles the enemy held almost unbroken possession and by means of this great belt of territory they kept up undisturbed communication with the country west of the river they held louisiana as a field of manoeuvre and supply the vast empire of texas the most important beef producing region of the continent was subject to their orders in short the louisiana purchase was virtually their own and their only communication by land with the outside world was through their southwestern frontier the post of vicksburg owed its importance primarily to its topographical situation the mississippi river runs from memphis to vicksburg a stretch of two hundred miles as the crow flies and twice that distance if we follow the sinuosities of the stream through a flat and rich alluvial country of dreary monotony and dullness on the eastern side of the river between the two points we have mentioned stretches a vast low valley sixty miles in width at its broadest part bounded by the river on the west and on the east by a long range of hills which in former ages was the eastern limit of the bed of a prodigious watercourse along the foot of these hills runs the yazoo river and the whole country is intersected in every direction by swamps bayous and sluggish streams creeping through the vast forests of cyprus the bluffs we have mentioned leave the mississippi river at memphis and curving to the east do not join the river again until they reach vicksburg from there to port hudson they follow the eastern bank of the river and turn sharply to the east between that point and new orleans we have detailed in another place the unsuccessful attempts of farragut and williams to capture vicksburg in april and june of eighteen sixty two these failures so raised the spirits of the rebel officers there that general van Dorn, who was in command of the confederate troops after general williams had returned to baton rouge determined to take the offensive and attack him there he sent general breckinridge with two divisions against that position the last of july a severe action took place in which the confederates were repulsed with great loss their ram arkansas was set on fire after having run aground on the union side the loss was comparatively slight although it included the brave and accomplished general williams but though the confederate attack had failed of its immediate object the capture of baton rouge general breckinridge notwithstanding his defeat acted with admirable judgment in seizing the commanding point of port hudson immediately above baton rouge and strongly fortifying it the union troops not being reinforced soon afterwards returned to new orleans and for nearly a year more the rebel garrisons at port hudson and vicksburg dominated a stretch of two hundred miles of the mississippi river just as general grant was proposing to start on his expedition southward he received a dispatch from halleck promising him large reinforcements in a short time the prospect of this addition to his force induced him to delay his principal movement for a few days but he sent a large reconnoitring party under the command of general james b mcpherson towards holly springs from which he learned that there was a considerable force of the enemy in that neighborhood and, having been informed by halleck that memphis would be made a depot of a general military and naval expedition to vicksburg he grew impatient at the prospect of continued delay and telegraphed to halleck asking whether he was to wait at grand junction until the memphis expedition was fitted out or whether he was to push south as far as possible he also asked whether w t sherman was to move subject to his orders or whether he was to be reserved for some special service to which halleck answered you have command of all troops sent to your department and have permission to fight the enemy where you please grant next asked for an addition to the railroad rolling stock then accumulated at memphis to which halleck answered that it was not advisable to undertake the repair of railroads south that Grant's operations in Mississippi should be limited to rapid marches upon any collected force of the enemy, and he suggested a rapid turning movement down the river as soon as necessary forces could be collected. On the 15th of November, Grant, having determined to move forward, sent for Sherman, and concerted with him a plan of operations. Grant was to move in person with the troops from Grand Junction sherman was to come out with an auxiliary force from memphis and join grant on the Tallahatchie, and curtis was to send a force over the river from arkansas to demonstrate upon the rear of the enemy at granada as the expedition was on the point of moving grant received a dispatch from halleck asking how many men could be spared for a movement down the river reserving merely enough to hold corinth and west tennessee grant replied that he could let sixteen thousand go from memphis to be taken mainly from the new levies there but that he required the rest of his force to move against pemberton halleck immediately answered approving the proposed movement but cautioning grant not to go too far the expedition started as arranged on the twenty sixth of november eighteen sixty two grant's cavalry crossed the Tallahatchie on the first of december his infantry and sherman's forces following close after the troops from helena crossed as agreed under general alvin p hovey his cavalry came to within seven miles of granada and inflicted considerable damage on the railroads the confederate force fell back as grant advanced the union columns meeting only slight skirmishing parties of the enemy the pursuit continued as far as oxford and even there it was not the stand of the confederates but trouble in his logistics that brought grant's advance to a halt the embarrassment of feeding a large force by a single line of railway and that generally out of repair was far greater than he had counted upon the country was free along the line of the mississippi central as far as grenada on the third of december but the difficulties of supply had already become so great that on the next day he asked halleck in a telegram sent from abbeville how far south would you like me to go with my present force it would not be safe to go beyond granada and attempt to hold present lines of communication the day after when his cavalry had arrived at coffeyville only eighteen miles from granada the obstacles to his advance had become so great that he proposed to halleck to send sherman with the helena and memphis troops south of the mouth of the yazoo river and thus secure vicksburg and the state of mississippi halleck at once directed him not to attempt to hold the country south of the Tallahatchie, but to collect twenty five thousand troops at memphis by the twentieth of the month for the vicksburg enterprise grant had asked do you want me to command the expedition on vicksburg or shall i send sherman he took halleck's dispatch of the preceding day you will move your troops as you may deem best to accomplish the great object in view as a sufficient answer to his question and immediately wrote general sherman will command the expedition down the mississippi he will have a force of about forty thousand men will land above vicksburg up the yazoo if practicable and cut the mississippi central railroad and the railroad running east from vicksburg where they cross the black river i will cooperate from here my movements depending on those of the enemy. Full and elaborate orders were issued to Sherman, in the sense of the above dispatch, on the 8th of December, and he hurried to Memphis to organize and take charge of this important expedition, which Grant, with his usual unselfishness, had put in the hands of his most trusted subordinate he had no hesitation in thus giving to another the opportunity for this brilliant and conspicuous exploit while he reserved for himself the more modest task of holding the enemy's forces in check on the alabusha it was understood between the two generals in conversation that in case bemberton retreated grant would follow him up to the mississippi between the yazoo and the big black rivers having once resolved upon the expedition grant urged sherman to use all possible dispatch in getting away and such energy and zeal was put into the work that a week after sherman reached memphis on his return from oxford sixty-seven boats had arrived at memphis and the embarkation began on the morning of the nineteenth one reason for this haste on the part of grant and sherman was that they had heard rumors of the intention of the president to assign general j a mcclernand of illinois to take command of the expedition against vicksburg and they wished to forestall any such action but no notice of any such assignment had been as yet sent to grant and he had in fact the authority of halleck communicated in a dispatch of the ninth to appoint sherman to the command but on the eighteenth of the month while the transports were arriving to convey sherman and his troops down the river a dispatch came from washington saying it is the wish of the president that general mcclernand's corps shall constitute a part of the river expedition and that he shall have the immediate command under your direction this was a bitter order for general grant who thoroughly disliked and distrusted mcclernand but he did his best to obey it he immediately telegraphed to mcclernand who was at springfield illinois that he was to command one of the four corps into which the troops of the department had been divided and that his corps was to form part of the expedition to vicksburg he also repeated the unwelcome news by telegraph to sherman at memphis but neither of these dispatches reached its destination on account of an event which took place at this time and entirely changed the face of the campaign the fears which general grant entertained within a few days after the beginning of the expedition that his line of communication was too long to be safely held received a remarkable confirmation a large force of the enemy's cavalry under general forrest in the middle of december struck grant's lines of communication with the north and with the greater part of his own command and a simultaneous movement of much greater importance, was made by General Van Dorn, with 3,500 cavalry, who passed by the left flank of Grant and attacked his base of supplies at Holly Springs, capturing the garrison on the 20th, and destroying a great quantity of valuable stores. Colonel Murphy, the same incapable officer who had abandoned Ayuka to price in so discreditable a manner, had been carelessly left in command of this important point he had been warned of the coming danger but paid no attention to it and gave up the post without striking a blow upon hearing of this disaster to his line of supply grant did not hesitate a moment in regard to the course to be pursued he at once fell back north of the Tallahatchie and telegraphed to halleck for permission to join the mississippi expedition this was promptly accorded and he hurried with his troops as rapidly as possible to memphis had this misadventure happened to grant at a later period of his career he would have paid no attention to it but gathering his troops compactly together would have at once advanced upon the enemy in front of him and in all probability would have beaten pemberton's army and taken vicksburg six months earlier than it was actually done but the experiment of living upon the enemy's country had not yet been tried the roads were bad the rainy season was beginning and he concluded the more prudent course was to return he learned something on the way back in regard to the problem of subsisting upon the enemy's country for some ten days he had no communication with the north and for a fortnight no supplies but the diligent system of foraging by which his army was fed on the route from coffeyville to grand junction served as a lesson to him which was afterwards put to splendid use by sherman and himself general grant arrived at holly springs on the twenty-third of december where he remained a fortnight leaving a part of mcpherson's command on the Tallahatchie, while most of his troops were engaged in reopening and guarding the railroad from memphis to corinth the dispatch of general grant ordering mcclernand to take charge of the expedition from memphis as we have said miscarried the wires having been cut by forrest's troopers but the letter containing the same orders reached mcclernand at springfield and he immediately started for his post sherman in the meantime not knowing that he had been superseded in command started down the river on the twentieth of december ignorant also of the cavalry raids of forrest and van dorn which had put an end to grant's advance upon the interior of mississippi he started with thirty thousand men and taking on twelve thousand more at helena he steamed down the river and reached milliken's bend twenty miles above vicksburg on the morning of the twenty-fifth here he landed a j smith's division to break up the shreveport railroad which supplied vicksburg with provisions from the west the other three divisions went on to the mouth of the yazoo river and moving up that stream some twelve miles they disembarked on the swampy bottoms at the foot of walnut hills where they were joined by smith's division a day later both grant and sherman had counted upon a surprise in this movement but in the nature of the case no surprise was possible the events of the autumn had attracted to this region the most anxious attention of the confederate government after van dorn's defeat at corinth jefferson davis had sent general pemberton an officer to whom he was personally much attached to take command of that department and not satisfied with this on the twenty fourth of november he assigned general j e johnston who was as yet only imperfectly recovered from the wounds which had disabled him at the battle of fair oaks to the supreme command of the armies commanded by pemberton in mississippi by e kirby smith in louisiana and by bragg in tennessee pemberton had a force outside of the garrisons at vicksburg and port hudson of twenty three thousand on the Tallahatchie. in arkansas lieutenant general holmes had a large army amounting according to general johnston to fifty five thousand men the new commander of the western armies immediately recommended that he be allowed to unite these forces for the purpose of attacking and overwhelming grant this suggestion was not adopted on arriving at chattanooga on the fourth of december he was informed of the danger with which pemberton was threatened by grant's advance that holmes had been ordered to reinforce him but fearing that Holmes might be too late mr davis urged upon johnson the importance of sending to pemberton a large reinforcement from bragg's command he did not think it judicious to weaken bragg's army by this detachment but both generals set to work at once to organize the cavalry raids which were afterwards so effective mr davis's anxiety on account of affairs in mississippi the state of his residence was so great That he went to chattanooga in person to look into the situation of affairs in the threatened region he did not agree with general johnston in regard to the detachment of troops from bragg and ordered him to transfer nine thousand infantry and artillery from tennessee to pemberton he then set off for jackson the capital of mississippi accompanied by general johnston governor john j pettis had convened the legislature for the purpose of bringing the entire arms-bearing population of the state into the service to add to the inadequate force by which pemberton was endeavoring to defend the mississippi river on the twentieth at the moment when sherman was steaming away from memphis with his army the confederate president was inspecting and criticizing with that confidence in his own opinion which he regarded as justified by his west point education the extensive fortifications of vicksburg from that point johnston and jefferson davis went to the confederate camp near granada where pemberton was preparing to contest grant's expected passage of the Yallabusha here the three confederate dignitaries had a conference in regard to the campaign which general johnston says revealed a wide divergence of views in regard to the mode of warfare best adapted to the circumstances a divergence which ultimately caused serious damage on the twenty seventh the retirement of grant towards the north and the destruction of the supplies at holly springs became known to pemberton and immediately afterwards the approach of the expedition against vicksburg was also announced to him the troops detached from bragg were sent to the defense of vicksburg mr davis after a fervent address to the legislature in which he urged the citizens of mississippi to go at once to vicksburg and assist in preserving the mississippi river that great artery of the country and thus conduce more than in any other way to the perpetuation of the confederacy and the success of the cause returned to richmond when therefore general sherman landed his force upon the east bank of the yazoo the task which he had assigned himself had become already well-nigh impossible the bluffs in his front which he must cross a difficult bayou to reach were crowned by formidable earthworks and defended by an ample force for in the position which the confederates held one man for defense was as good as ten for attack impassable swamps on the left and the mississippi river on the right restricted the field of operations to a very narrow space and even that was of such a character that a description of it in the reports of the generals engaged at this lapse of time strikes the reader with amazement general frank p blair jr who led the principal attack on the enemy's works thus describes the ground he was compelled to traverse the enemy had improved their naturally strong position with consummate skill the bed of the bayou was perhaps one hundred yards in width covered with water for a distance of fifteen feet on the side of the bayou held by my troops after emerging from the heavy timber and descending a bank of eight or ten feet in height there was a growth of young cottonwoods thickly set which had been cut down by the enemy at the height of three or four feet and the tops of these saplings thrown down among these stumps so as to form a perfect net to entangle the feet of the assaulting party passing through this and coming to that part of the bayou containing water it was deep and miry and when this was crossed we encountered a steep bank on the side of the enemy at least ten feet high covered with a strong abatis and crowned with rifle-pits from end to end above them was still another range of rifle-pits and still above a circle of batteries of heavy guns which afforded a direct and enfilading fire upon every part of the plateau which rose gently from the first range of the rifle-pits to the base of the embankment which formed the batteries yet it was not in the nature of a soldier like sherman even in the face of obstacles such as these to recoil without a battle and after two days of reconnaissances, which would have discouraged any but the most daring fighter he ordered an assault over the ground we have seen described blair's brigade of frederick steele's division went in on the left and john f de courcy's brigade of g w morgan's division on the right over that tangled abatis through the clinging quicksands and the icy bayou up the perpendicular banks and over the plateau filled with death-dealing missiles blair leaving his horse floundering in the quicksands of the bayou led his brigade with desperate heroism piercing two successive lines of the confederate rifle-pits and pausing only at the very foot of the enemy's earthworks there turning for the first time to look around he found that de courcy's brigade after handsomely crossing the bayou at a more favorable point had not been able to withstand the withering fire and that no support was forthcoming from any quarter the assault was over and blair had only to bring back what was left of his gallant brigade who retired in good order an attack had been made at the same time by the sixth missouri infantry who with heavy loss had crossed the bayou lower down but could not ascend the steep bank they scooped out with their hands caves in the perpendicular wall of sand to shelter them from the muskets of the enemy fired vertically over the parapet they were not extricated from this critical position till after nightfall and then one at a time blair's brigade out of about eighteen hundred men who marched into the action had lost six hundred and three in killed and wounded and missing de courcy's brigade even more seven hundred and twenty four the total casualties of sherman's force being seven hundred and seventy six our loss says general sherman had been pretty heavy and we had accomplished nothing and had inflicted little loss in our enemy his first intention was to renew the assault higher up the river on the next day a dense fog prevented the movement of the transports and the cooperation of the gunboats rain began to fall also and Sherman, observing the watermarks upon the trees ten feet above ground, concluded to abandon the attempt. Reinforcements to the enemy were constantly arriving. He could hear the frequent whistle of the trains at Vicksburg, and could see battalions of men marching up towards Haynes Bluff. It was evident that no cooperation from Grant in the interior was probable, and he had had no communication with him since parting three weeks before. He embarked his forces on the transports and, steaming down the Yazoo, tied up again at Millican's Bend, where General McClernand had already arrived to supersede him. McClernand took command of the Army of the Mississippi, as he called it, the next day, dividing the forces into corps commanded respectively by Morgan and Sherman. General McClernand was, for several years before the war, a Democratic congressman from the state of Illinois he went early into the service and contributed a considerable personal and political influence to the support of the government at the outbreak of the rebellion it has been the habit of general grant's biographers to represent mcclernand as an intimate friend of president lincoln and as owing his original appointment and subsequent promotions to personal favoritism this impression however obtained is entirely incorrect it is true that general mcclernand was an acquaintance and fellow townsman of mr lincoln but they were never intimate friends their relations were those of lifelong political opponents but after the death of senator douglas there was probably no democrat in the state of illinois except john a logan who could bring such a decided and valuable support to the union cause as mcclernand and there was none who entered into the war with more of zeal and loyalty he and logan were both men of great courage ambition and capacity both successful lawyers and politicians the great difference between them which was developed later was that in addition to the ability influence and energy which they both possessed in something like an equal degree logan exhibited every day a constantly increasing aptitude for military command and the highest soldierly qualities not only of courage and intelligence but of strict obedience and subordination which latter mcclernand did not possess and seemed incapable of acquiring but these deficiencies of character had not become apparent in the autumn of eighteen sixty two And when, in the month of October, he came to Washington and laid before the president a plan he had conceived of extensive recruiting service in Illinois and other western states, with a view of a campaign which was to liberate the Mississippi Valley, the president and the secretary of war readily gave their consent, with an understanding that he was to have such a command of the troops which were to be raised in great part by his own personal exertions, as should be suitable to his services and rank the general plan was to give him command of a corps of troops taken from these proposed levies and an opportunity to take part in the coming campaign for the opening of the mississippi river in pursuance of this understanding general grant was ordered on the eighteenth of december to put general mcclernand in command of a corps grant promptly obeyed the order and as we have seen his telegram to mcclernand was delayed by Forrest's raid sherman got away from memphis not knowing of his supersession had attacked at chickasaw bluffs and had been repulsed before the new commander arrived while lying at millican's bend the question at once arose what was to be done with the troops sherman was anxious to do something to redeem the ill success that had thus far attended the expedition and mcclernand was naturally burning to illustrate his new command by some striking feat of arms They had both had their attention directed to the post of the enemy on the arkansas river some forty miles above its mouth called by the confederates fort hindman and by the union troops arkansas point general sherman says in his memoirs that on the very day mcclernand assumed command he asked of him leave to go up the arkansas and clear out the post mcclernand suggested a consultation with admiral porter which ended somewhat to general sherman's surprise in mcclernand's taking personal charge of the expedition instead of sending him and in porters leading his flotilla in person instead of sending a subordinate the expedition once resolved upon was carried through with the greatest dispatch the army and the fleet under their respective energetic commanders made short work of the matter they reached the mouth of white river on the eighth of january and after prompt reconnaissances assaulted fort hindman by land and by water on the eleventh of january the works consisted of a four bastioned fort commanding a bend of the river and a long line of entrenchments running from the river to an impassable bayou it was defended by about five thousand men sherman commanded the right and morgan the left of the union army while porter in person directed the vigorous and effective attack of the fleet after a sharp skirmish during which sherman got within a few hundred yards of the entrenchments the white flag was displayed and sherman and morgan at the two ends of the line rode into the enemy's works an instance of confusion ensued which might have led to awkward consequences as general thomas j churchill commanding the place asserted that he had not authorized the display of the white flag and one of his subordinates on the left of the rebel lines refused at first to surrender but seeing the hopelessness of further resistance churchill ordered his troops to stack their arms and the easy and valuable victory was complete the union loss was slight compared with the magnitude of the result accomplished the expedition remained three days to complete the destruction of the rebel works and then under grant's orders returned to napoleon at the mouth of the arkansas river on the seventeenth mcclernand had for a moment the intention to push his conquest further into arkansas but while planning this movement his justifiable complacency over his victory was rudely dashed by a dispatch from grant written upon receiving the first announcement of the expedition and in ignorance of its triumphant result in which he peremptorily ordered mcclernand to return to the mississippi at the same time telegraphing halleck that mcclernand had gone on a wild-goose chase to the post of arkansas to which dispatch halleck replied with that unfailing confidence and support with which the government favored every movement and every request of grant you are hereby authorized to relieve general mcclernand from command of the expedition against vicksburg giving it to the next of rank or taking it yourself even after grant received the news of mcclernand's complete success his dislike and distrust of that general made it impossible for him to regard his conduct with approval or satisfaction general badeau says lacking any confidence in mcclernand's military judgment and supposing that the plan emanated solely from that officer he did not give it the same consideration it would have received had he known that sherman first suggested the idea the relations between the two generals were such that it was only a question of time when one of them must leave the service mcclernand answered grant's dispatch in an angry letter contrasting his own success with grant's failure in mississippi and the correspondence between them which opened in this inauspicious way continued in the same tone until six months later mcclernand was relieved of his command although it cannot be denied that it is not as a rule judicious to assign to a general in the field a subordinate who is distasteful to him we cannot but think that too much has been made of this want of harmony between mcclernand and grant so far as results are concerned the order appointing mcclernand to the command of the vicksburg expedition was not carried into effect until after sherman had made his attack and failed and during the few days when mcclernand exercised his independent command it was attended with the most brilliant possible success it is useless to discuss the point whether he or his more famous subordinate deserved the credit of the victory of arkansas post the practical fact is that mcclernand at least did not prevent it it was within the undoubted prerogative of the president and the secretary of war to give command of an army corps to a general who largely by his own personal exertions had raised it and placed it in the field and there has been more than enough talk among professional military writers about civilian interference in appointments to high command this interference is not only authorized but commanded by the constitution of the united states which places these appointments in the hands of the civil government and in a war carried on by thirty millions of free people the president who would entirely disregard popular or as some prefer to call it political influences would by that fact show himself incapable of understanding or properly executing the duties of his office mcclernand was not the only soldier in the western army who owed his appointment to such consideration grant and sherman themselves were constantly favored and protected by some of the most powerful statesmen in congress mcclernand's fault was not that he had been a politician but that he did not become a good soldier while blair and logan who in civil life were more popular and more distinguished politicians than mcclernand as soon as they put on army uniform surpassed him equally in their thorough obedience and subordination as generals "'General Grant himself bore willing witness to the worth of Logan and Blair as soldiers. "'If McClernand had been supported at Washington in his attitude of insubordination to his general, "'the results would, of course, have been as disastrous as such a course would have been ill-advised. "'But there never was the slightest disposition on the part of the President or the Secretary of War "'to encourage him in such a course.' grant was made from beginning to end the absolute arbiter in all matters affecting the administration of his army in the order of the eighteenth of december assigning mcclernand to command it was expressly stated that he was to be under the direction of grant and afterwards at the first intimation of grant's dissatisfaction with his subordinate who had as yet it must be said done nothing to deserve it the government authorized him to relieve mcclernand from command leaving it optional with grant to give it to sherman or to take it himself and this attitude the government maintained until the last at the beginning of the final campaign against vicksburg the secretary of war telegraphed general grant has full and absolute authority to enforce his own commands and to remove any person who by ignorance inaction or any cause interferes with or delays his operations He has the full confidence of the government, is expected to enforce his authority, and will be firmly and heartily supported. But he will be responsible for any failure to exert his powers. You may communicate this to him. End of chapter 5